Well, we're happy to be out again tonight, uh, the opportunity to worship the Lord, to assemble with the saints, and I hope we always count that a privilege. Uh, tonight we're going to be studying from the book of Isaiah chapter 11, and we encourage you to get your Bibles and follow along, and we'll be there in just a second because we want to read Romans chapter 15, and uh, just pay careful attention. If you have any questions, we hope that uh, we'll be able to answer them. And as we look at the text here in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, for some, it's uh, kind of a difficult passage. For some, there's a lot of erroneous teaching associated with Isaiah chapter 11. But I think if we'll take our time, we can analyze it, and I think we get a, a good grasp of really what uh, was prophesied in this chapter. In the book of Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, beginning here in uh, number 8, uh, and what Paul's doing, he's going to string a whole slew of verses together here. And what happens is that he's talking about that the Gentiles were incorporated into the body of Christ, and this is a fulfillment of several prophecies. Verse 8, Paul says, Now say that Christ Jesus was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So what was promised in the Old Testament was for the Jews, but hey, wait a minute, it was also for the Gentiles. Uh, he says, as it is written, for this cause I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing unto your name. Verse 10, and again he says, rejoice you Gentiles uh, with his people. Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And then in verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he, uh, he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. It is that verse 12 that is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 11. And in the midst of these other texts from the book of Psalms and from the book of Isaiah also, he is applying that the Gentiles are recipients of the blessings of the gospel in Christ Jesus. So we know the fulfillment has to be in our day and time because I think probably most of us, if not 100% of us, are all Gentiles who have been converted to Jesus Christ. Alright, so he quotes Isaiah chapter 11. Let's go back to the text of Isaiah chapter 11 and look at the text. Alright, first off, we have the first five verses and we ask the question and answer the question, who? Who, who are we talking about here? Who are we talking about? And he's talking about the branch. That, of course, is talking about Jesus. So let's notice here in Isaiah chapter 11. In verse 1 it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch, shall grow out of his roots. Verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit, uh, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike uh, the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. And faithfulness the belt of his waist. Now, we probably recognize there from verse 1, obviously, it is talking about Jesus. He is called the branch. Now, why is he called the branch? Well, the imagery is the concept of a family tree. I mean, some people are into genealogies and they like to do a family tree. You start with the roots, that is, maybe the great-great-grandfather. You go back to your great-great-grandfather and then they had a son or they had a daughter. 
And then they sort of branch out, and then you have those descendants, and then their grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren, etc. And so you have the imagery of the family tree, and the roots of this family tree goes back to Jesse, who was the father of David. Now, that's important because when we talk about King David, there was a special promise made to David. And that is that there was going to be a descendant. We're going to look at that here. But here I've got a picture of where a tree had been lopped off. It was uh, up in Rock Castle. They had come through and cut trees. And not every tree does this, but here was a tree that they chopped it off. They cut it down. And then it sort of begins branching out. It sort of flourishes again. Some trees you cut them off and that's it. The stump dies, the roots die, and there's no more. But some trees you cut them off and it sort of sprouts out. And so what we're going to see is that God made a special promise to King David, who was the son of of Jesse. And this royal lineage, the family tree of David, the royal lineage was going along until the days of Coniah, right before the Babylonian uh, came in and destroyed uh, the city of Jerusalem, etc. And so the royal lineage was chopped off, as it were. The royal tree was cut down. Hey, wait a minute, there's a promise that was made in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Well, that's where Jesus comes in. He's a branch that sort of buds out and comes forth from the roots of David. And uh, that, of course, is the imagery that is used here. Now, let's look at these texts. First off, in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, what you have here is uh, you have uh, uh, Samuel... Uh, or uh, you have in Second Samuel, you have Nathan here in Second Samuel coming to King David, and he makes a special promise to him. And let's look at that there in the book of Second Samuel, chapter seven, verse twelve. And Nathan says, "And when thy days shall be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels or loins or uh, uh, from his descendant, and I will establish his kingdom." And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it away from Saul, uh, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee, and thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. All right. So here's, here's Nathan, an inspired prophet, telling David, now there's going to come one from your loins, from, from you, from one of your descendants, and he's going to set upon this throne forever. Well, that's looking to Jesus. And from this point forward in the Old Testament, that's why you have lots of references to David and, and the Messianic prophecy that involves David. And that's why you, you begin the book of Matthew. Jesus Christ, uh, who was the son of Abraham and the son of David. David's mentioned lots of times. And, and this David that was to come because he was going to be a descendant of David. And you look at the genealogy of Jesus and both legally on his father's side, or supposed father, that is Joseph, he was a descendant of David. And then by the blood side, you look at Matthew or Luke's account of the genealogy, and that's through his mother's side. So both ways, legally by blood, he was a descendant of David. And that's so important. But as you look at the, the kings that came forth from David's loins, some were good, some were bad. And then they just got rotten. 
And then the people got so bad, God was going to carry them away into captivity. And that's what the Babylonians would do. And so we read in the book of Jeremiah chapter 22, Jeremiah chapter 22, notice there in number 28, is this man Coniah, who was one of the great, 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 great grandchildren of David, it says, is this man Coniah a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein there is no pleasure? Wherefore uh, are they cast out, <clears throat> he and his seed, and are cast into the land which they know not? O earth, earth, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. For no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judea. Now, after Conia, when he says he's childless, not saying that he never had kids, he did. But the point is, there would be none of his descendants that would sit and rule upon the throne of David in Judah. But Jesus, who is also a descendant of David and Coniah, Jesus would rule and prosper, but it wouldn't be in Judea. He would rule in heavenly Jerusalem, that is, from heaven. So therefore, this prophecy was fulfilled, and after Coniah, the royal tree was whacked down. The lineage was whacked down. But wait a minute. You go back to 2 Samuel 7. What about that promise? God made a promise. There's going to be one. Well, well, how's that going to be fulfilled? Well, that's where the branch buds back out, comes back out. And that's Jesus. And so you look in Jeremiah chapter 23, and you see there verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And in his day Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell uh, safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called Jehovah our righteousness. There's that term, the branch. As you look at that imagery of that stump, here's the branch coming forth. Here's Coniah cut off, and after several hundred years, it budded back out. That is the royal lineage. That is Jesus branched back out of the root of David, the root of Jesse. And so that's what Isaiah chapter 11 is telling us about here. As we look at the text here, notice there once again as we go back to Isaiah chapter 11. Now let's look at the language here. And it shall come to, uh, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. You see, Jesse, who was the father of David, you go back to the roots of the family tree, Jesse, and then David, and then, uh, Rehoboam, etc., etc. You see, it emanates all the way back to Jesse. And that's who Jesus is, that he is a descendant. <clears throat> he is a descendant of uh, King David and, of course, uh, who was uh, the son of Jesse there. So, let's continue on as he describes who in this uh, passage of Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Well, that... Perfectly described Jesus. What happened? Well, Jesus grew up. He was baptized of John the Baptist. And what happened? Well, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Remember that? The Holy Spirit uh, came upon him. And John saw that. And so he had, as it describes there, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. So look at all the teachings of Jesus. 
How he handled every situation. They come with these tempting questions. They come up with these hypothetical situations. And he would just answer them. I mean, he was just perfect. And the people stood astounded at his teaching as uh, there was a sharp contrast. Uh, The knowledge of the Lord, the fear of the Lord was upon him. Verse 3, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. You see, Jesus loved God. He loved what was right. It didn't make any difference who's who. If people did wrong, he said, hey, that's not right. You remember you remember what he told Peter? I mean, one of the Charles and apostles, get thee in Satan. Why? Because he's acting like the devil with his words and his attitude. I mean, he just called a spade a spade. That, that was the character of Jesus. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Now, what's interesting about that, sometimes we see something... And we start to jump to the conclusions. It, it, it looks like this is, and maybe that's not really the situation. Just like you, you could have, okay, uh, well, I live on a dead end street, so it probably won't happen with me too much. But if you live along the highway and there are people passing by and they're throwing out beer bottles, and, and so you go out there because they're in their yard and you pick them up and you throw them in your trash can and you set your garbage can out and then the dogs tump it over overnight and there's old beer bottles laying right there by your garbage can so you see with the eyes of, oh boy, oh Randy, he's hitting the bottle. Well, <laughs> you don't just merely judge by appearance. The appearance may be that's what's happening, but that's not really the matter. Or by the hearing of ears, sometimes you might hear something. You know, somebody you're walking by, and somebody says, uh, "You know, boy, I just, I just love that woman to pieces." And then somebody jumps to the conclusion, and he's not talking about his wife, and it's like, "Whoa, talking about?" Well, you, 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 you're basing upon what you heard, and you only heard part of the conversation. I mean, it may be somebody that they're talking about of some special sacrifice that they made and you didn't hear about that. And, and so you're saying, boy, I love that woman to pieces. And, and you're just talking about a very kind uh, woman, a sister that done uh, just an extraordinary event for you and, and deed for you and all you heard was part of it. Well, he doesn't judge by his eyes. He doesn't reprove after the hearing of his ears. You remember Jesus said in John chapter 7, judge not according to appearance, but judge a righteous judgment. Yeah. That's that's our Lord. He judges righteous judgment. Verse 4, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. That is, his word will go forth like a chastening rod. And it is without any kind of partiality. The rod of his mouth, it just falls. The word is just preached. I mean, Jesus didn't have... Fear and favoritism because he respected God and what's right. He just, you know, you call a spade a spade. It doesn't mean that he was trying to be unkind. He just, this is the way it is. And so he would just say, this is the way it is, as he would speak forth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And that's why people that love wickedness, they hate the light. It's like, well, they want to kind of hide from the light. They don't want to be around it. Well, because the word of God, the word of the Lord makes him feel guilty. <clears throat> Verse five. And righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. He's just a faithful, righteous king, godly king. And that's who the text is talking about here in verses one through five, talking about our king. That in Christ Jesus, in the New Testament order, we have an absolute monarch. And that's Jesus Christ. 
He is an absolute monarch. He has judicial power. He has executive power. He has legislative power. He has it all. But he's righteous. He loves God. He fears God. He loves what's right. He does always the right thing. So we can put our full trust and confidence in him because he's going to do us right every time. He's not going to shortchange us. He's not going to be show partiality. He's just going to do the right thing. So we can trust this wonderful king that is described here. Now, we move to the next section here as we talk about this uh, Messiah and his righteous character. But the question, what? Well, what's described now in verses 6 through 8, right? It talks about these various animals. Let's look at that. In verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, uh, shall, shall feed, and their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, that is a cobra, kind of a poisonous snake. And the weaned child uh, shall play, uh, shall put his hand in the cockatrices or the viper's den. Well, now, here's where people say, well, now that, that hasn't been fulfilled. They look at the animal kingdom and they said, no, that, that's, that's no way, that, that hasn't come to pass. Well, Animals are used many times in the scriptures just to describe people. And so all these various animals described in our text is really just talking about people that will be brought into the kingdom of God. But these people from various backgrounds in the natural realm have a different nature. But when they come into the kingdom of God, into the rule of Christ, into Christ's kingdom, there's a, there's a radical change that takes place because they're not doing the way they normally do in nature. Now, animals are used many times in the scriptures. John 1, verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God was taken away the sins of the world. Well, what are we talking about? A, a, a lamb? No, we're talking about Jesus. He's like a lamb. You've got Luke chapter 13, verse 32 where Jesus responds, as they were talking about hair, and he says, well, go tell that fox. We're talking about a little uh, little kind of dog-like animal, a big bushy tail? No. We're talking about a very sly character when you speak about hair. Or Matthew chapter 25, where it talks about the day of judgment, Jesus is going to separate people like separating sheep from goats. He's got some people are... Have the nature of sheep. Some people have the nature of goats. He's not talking about literal goats and sheep. He's talking about people. Some people are like sheep. They're followers of God. Some people are like goats. They're stubborn, independent minded, and they don't follow God. They do their own thing. But he's using animals just to describe people. Matthew chapter 23 and in verse 33, where Jesus says, You generation of vipers. The Jewish people were like a bunch of poisonous snakes. They were snakes in the grass. Very, very vicious in many ways. So animals are used in this text to describe people. Now, when you look into the natural realm, and this is where people trying to think this thing literally, they're thinking this, this is talking about literal animals. No, he's talking about people, but these various animals that are described in the natural realm, they're pretty vicious when you look in the natural realm. I mean, you look at that line, you know, 
got that gazelle, just chopped him up and uh, with his mouth and taking him to eat. And, and here's a leopard, uh, got a little gazelle or deer. And here's a bear, and he's a very vicious type of animal. And here's this uh, cobra, as he, he's ready to strike at somebody that's kind of molesting and bothering him. And he's, he's going to put that poisonous venom in. Well, in the natural realm, that's the way these animals behave. Now, what Jesus is saying, in the natural realm, what do we see in the world? Well, we see people acting like animals, being vicious and mean and hateful and hurting and and causing harm one to another. It happens all the time in the natural world. And when you apply to people, it happens that way among humanity. You, you find all kinds of bears in the world. You find social bears. You have national bears. You have racial bears. You have educational bears. You have gender bears. I mean, all these people at one another's throats in different times and different situations, just like in the animal kingdom. But in our text here in Isaiah chapter 11, in the kingdom of God, in the government of Christ, now you have these animals dwelling together in harmony. You have a little child. I mean, we got some little kids. I mean, would you let your kids go and play with, uh, you know, some king cobras? You know, would you let them play around with rattlesnakes? Well, no. But if the animals were changed, well, yeah, a, ra- a radical change. Well, well, okay, that would be possible. Well, that's the point of this prophecy. That people that come into Christ Jesus that at one time had these ideas and these uh, vicious attitudes and these ugly uh, uh, dispositions, all that is changed by Jesus Christ. A radical change has to take place. Because when it talks about, for instance, an illustration there, the lion shall eat straw like an ox. Well, it's like when cows eat, they have like, they have like these four stomach chambers to digest the, the food so they can get the energy and nutrition from that. If you're going to have a lion eating straw with just its one stomach, you know, it's not going to get any benefit. It, it would die. So you'd have to just radically change the lion so it could eat straw. And be at peace with the various animals that are described here. Well, that's the point. People who are converted from Judaism, people who are converted from uh, from uh, uh, this nation or that nation, this background, that background, all these various uh, uh, problems that are bears in the natural world of people in Christ Jesus, all that is broken down. Why? Because Christ is all in all. And people come with uh, come to Christ, and there's a total change, a total makeover with people. Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen, he says, "If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new." And so, what is prophesied in Isaiah chapter eleven is the righteous rule of Jesus Christ. And those who come to Christ that become a part of His government and under the government of King Jesus, they are completely, totally changed and they are at peace. There's peace and tranquility in the body of Christ when people are changed by Jesus Christ. Now, let's illustrate that with some of the New Testament people and New Testament texts. You have Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 3, it talks about Matthew the publican, Matthew the tax collector. That was Jews, the Romans, they wanted to collect taxes from the Jews, so they would just, uh, they would just round up various Jews that 
kind of spoke the Hebrew language and knew their way around, and they would sort of farm out getting the taxes from the Jews from various Jews that, okay, well, it was a job and they didn't mind doing it. And so they were going around collecting the taxes from the people. That was Matthew. Kind of a pro-Roman stance. Then you have Luke chapter 6 and verse 15. Another one of the apostles, uh, in one passage he's called Simon the Canaanite, but then another passage he's called Simon the Zelotes, or Simon the Zealot. Now the Zealot were Jews that were very pro-Israel. They were anti-Roman. They were sort of on the opposite pole of the political spectrum. Here you have here you have Matthew. He's sort of pro-Roman because he's collecting taxes for the Romans. Here you have Simon. He's kind of a zealot. He's pro-Israel. Let's overthrow. Let's rebel against Rome. And just in the total uh, opposite of the political realm. And yet they're both apostles of Jesus Christ now. Why? Because Jesus is changing these people. You look there in the book of Galatians chapter 3. There in Galatians chapter 3, notice there in number 28. Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, in Christ Jesus, people are changed. Radically changed. All things become new. There's a total different point of view and attitude of those who become Christians. You remember the Samaritan woman when she was there at Jacob's well and she said, uh, could you give me a drink of water? And she was like, what? What, what, what are you talking about? See, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Here's Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher, having dealings with the Samaritans. She was pretty astounded by that. Let me tell you, we have a lot of barriers sometimes, even in our world today. You have some people that they wouldn't have anything to do with maybe certain nationalities. Well, you know, it's like these Arabs, I don't trust any of them. Well, there's probably a lot of them not, not very trustworthy, but that's not uh, for everybody. And then you have people that they, they are maybe well-to-do and they feel like they're uppity-up and they have nothing to do with the people that are poor. And then you have people that are poor and they think everybody that's got any kind of money or wealth, they're all snobs and, and wretched and they don't want to have anything to do with rich people or anybody that has anything. You have those barriers in the world that we live in. Economic barriers. Then you have those that are educated, that have college degrees, and etc. And then you have those that maybe dropped out of high school. And well, then here's the people that dropped out. Now well, they don't like the people that's educated. The people educated, they look down upon those that that didn't finish school. There's those barriers in the world we live in. But what happens when you come to Christ Jesus? All that is erased. All that is taken away. Why? Because there has been change that is made. And that Jesus has become king of kings. That Christ is all in all. There are no social barriers. There are no national barriers. There are no economical barriers. There's no educational barriers. There's no color of skin barriers. All that is taken away. And now in the body of Christ, people are dwelling in harmony. Changed. Radical change. Or the language there of Isaiah chapter 11, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Why? Because these people have changed. 
If we're in Christ, we, we're changed. Now we're in harmony. We're in unity. And that was what was prophesied. That, 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 that's what's described there in those verses 6 through 8 by the use of animals. That here animals, as you would think of the lion just jumping on the lamb there, well, no, that don't happen in Christ Jesus. That's not the way Christians behave. People that are true to Christ. They learn different, they act different, they behave different, they bring harmony, they lay aside all the stuff that's really, that's neither here nor there when it comes to politics. I'm not, not big into the political realm. Sometimes people ask my political views, generally my, my ultimate answer is Psalm 118 verse 9. Put not your trust in princes. You know, put your trust in Jehovah. That, that's really, when it comes to politics, that, that's ultimately my answer because I see it on both sides. You see people in politics making promises and not keeping them and making spiritual and moral compromises. You can't trust any of them, really, it seems like to me, the way they behave. So I'm not big into politics, but what I'm big, is, big into is Christ Jesus. Because he's the righteous king. He's the one that always does the right thing. And so we put our trust in him. And not in uh, the princes of men. Not in human beings. And so, who? Right? The Messiah. What? The people that have been radically changed by Christ Jesus. And then where? Where does all this take place? Where does this take place? Well, let's look there in number nine. The first part. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Where is it that the wolf and the lamb dwell together? It's not talking about the world in general. It's talking about in the holy mountain of the Lord. It's the same as you go back to Isaiah chapter 2. In Isaiah chapter 2, very similar type language is talked about there in the Messianic uh, prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 2, notice there verses 2 and following, this shall come to pass in the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. Now, let's just pause here just briefly, because there's that word mountain again. Why, 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 what, what do we mean by mountain? Well, in Jeremiah chapter 51, in verse 28, Jeremiah, talking about Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon, the government of Babylon, says, O thou destroying mountain. Because that was the, you look at the, the, the administration of the Babylonian Empire, it was destroyed, it was conquered, it was to spread, and to uh, uh, spread, uh, spread the borders of their kingdom, and conquer people, and deport people, and all that, and, and take pillage of, uh, of the people they conquered. Right? That, they were destroying mountain. So mountain is the concept of government. So when we talk about the mountain of the Lord's house, we're talking about the government of Christ. We're talking about the government of Jesus. And so it says that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the tops of the mountains. You see, the kingdom of Christ is above all the governments of the world. That's the part that we become part of. That is the kingdom or the government of Jesus Christ when we obey the gospel. And so the, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the tops of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law of the Lord, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4, And he shall judge among the nations, and he shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords in the plowshares, 
and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up, lift up nation uh, shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. So here's a sword. What do you have a sword for? Well, you have a sword for fighting and conquest and warring and stuff like that. Well, here's people that are taking their swords and they're beating them like a hammer and anvil, making it into a plowshare. Now, here's an interesting photo. I don't know if you know where it's at. Have you ever been to New York City? That's where the United Nations, the United Nations building is located where all these nations come, delegates, etc. And out there is this statue, and here's a man, he's got that hammer. And you see the top, looks like a sword, but there at the bottom, he has beat his sword into plowing shear. That is, to turn away from uh, be, of warring and fighting and, and that type of thing to agriculture, to peaceful activities. And so that, that's the imagery that is used there in Isaiah chapter 2, which is the same of Isaiah chapter 11, would be the peaceful nature of uh, the mountain of the Lord. Now, the problem is that Isaiah chapter 2 wasn't talking about the United Nations. Because that, it's an utter failure. I mean, maybe sometimes they have some victories, and maybe sometimes, you know, they send peacekeepers, and, and they have some peaceful things going on, but... It, a lot of times don't last very long. And groups are fighting again. And bombs start falling and, and guns start shooting and all that. But you see, Isaiah chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 11 is not talking about the world in general. Not talking about the United Nations. Not talking about the kingdoms of this world, it is only talking about specifically where does this peaceful activity happen? In the mountain of the Lord. In the government of the Lord. The government of the Lord's house. Who is the Lord's house? We're talking about the church. We're talking about God's people. That's where this is talking about. This, this was a prophecy of what would take place in the church. That here you would have Simon the Zealot, or you have Matthew the Publican, or you have somebody that was in the Black Panthers, or here's somebody that was a member of the KKK. Now they've learned the truth and they lay aside those nonsensical human organizations. They all know Jesus reigns, and Jesus is Almighty, and He's the King of King of Kings, and I was wrong in the thinking of these kinds of human organizations. Now I'm, uh, my devotion is to Jesus Christ. And so here you have the former KKK, member, and the former Black Panther member, now they're drilling together in harmony. Where? In the church, in the government of Christ, in the body of Christ. That's what the passage is prophesied. That's where this takes place. Not in the world in general, but in the mountain of the Lord. Now, why? Why does this happen? Well, it's also explained in Isaiah chapter 11. Turn back there to number 9. The second part. It says, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What changes people? The change happens inside. You change the knowledge of people. Here's somebody that they're fed all this nonsense in the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. And here's somebody over here, they're in the Black Panthers, and they're fed all this knowledge. 
Or here's somebody over here in radical Islam and they're fed all this information and they're ready to smite the head of the unbeliever and strap bombs to themselves and go blow up people. Well, the knowledge of the Lord changes these people from the inside. That's where, that's where the change has got to take place. It's got, it's got to take place on the inside. And when you change somebody on the inside by changing their knowledge, when you change their knowledge, you're going to change their will, you're going to change their attitudes, you're going to change their choice-making and decisions. And therefore, they're not going to go strapping bombs to themselves, going out blowing up people. They're not going to go out doing violent and hateful and ungodly, wretched things. Why? Well, because the knowledge of the Lord has converted them, has changed them. If we could illustrate it this way. A little over 50 years ago, LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, a former president, passed away. He made the announcement that we have a war on poverty. And so billions and billions of dollars have been spent to end poverty. And what happens? Nothing. We still have a lot of poverty. Why? Because here were people that were living in slum. And so they said, well, what we need to do is get these folks out of the slum and take them out of the slum and build these housing projects and put them in there. And hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna end poverty. Well, what happened? Well, the people that were taken out of the slums, they were putting these new housing projects and then the housing projects then looked like slums. Why? Because they took the people out of the slums and moved them over here but they didn't take the slum out of the hearts of the people. You see, the change wasn't made within inside. It was it was an outward thing, and it really didn't it really didn't bring to pass what they thought it would happen. In Christ Jesus, people are changed on the inside. Why and how? By the knowledge of the Lord, the teachings of Jesus Christ change people on the inside. And when people are changed on the inside, you have a change of character, you have a change of actions, a change of attitude. Uh, etc. People are now peaceful. They dwell, the wolf and the lamb. They dwell together. The lion eats straw like an ox. No longer out attacking people and vicious toward others. Why? Because the change happens within. Because the knowledge of God is that powerful. And then notice, well when? When is this Isaiah chapter 11 fulfilled? Well, we read verse 10, it says, And in that day, what day? The day when the wolf and the lamb dwell together, and the lion eats straw like an ox. When the Messiah is uh, ruling in righteousness, in that day, that is in the Messianic kingdom, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, and, it, and to it the Gentiles shall seek, and his rest shall be glorious. That brings us back to where we began, Romans chapter 15. Paul said, no, this is applied in the church. It's applied in the kingdom of God. It's applied in Paul's day and in extension to our day. That's what he's talking about. It's applied in the kingdom of Christ. Since the day of Pentecost, since the, uh, the, the preaching of the, uh, of the gospel of the kingdom was fulfilled and people entered into the church or entered into the kingdom, into the body of Christ, people have been changed since the day of Pentecost. This radical change that takes place why? By the knowledge of God, by the knowledge of Jesus Christ, these teachings, they convert people since the day of Pentecost and continuing on till ever how much longer the world shall stand. That's when it was fulfilled. 
And that's what Paul quotes in Romans chapter 15. And if this has, this Isaiah chapter 11 hadn't been fulfilled, then we as Gentiles were sort of left out. Now, if you're of Jewish descent, maybe, maybe you got the gospel and we're still waiting for Gentiles to be invited in, but I don't think so. I'm of a Gentile descent. And so I receive these promises based upon what God said and prophesied in the Old Testament. And then finally, I want to notice that phrase there, the ensign. The ensign or the banner. Uh, some, some translation says banner. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign or a banner. Now an ensign was sort of like uh, the Romans. They, they had the ensign was, a, was an eagle. And they would, they would have a pole. And there would be this big eagle up there. And it was symbolic of Roman power. And there would be somebody be carrying that pole. It's kind of like... Uh, I, think they, I think they do it at the basketball games too. I know they do it at the football games. You know, they'll be coming out with a, a, a big banner with a big UK or if you Alabama, I suppose they do the same thing. They have these big flags or these banners and they come running out in this thing. And what's the, what happens? Well, the people go wild and they're cheering and they're, yay, yay, and, and there you go, you know, roll tide, roll tide, whatever. You know, the point is, it's a banner, it's a rallying point to, to get the people fired up for, for their team. But we have kind of a ensign. Kind of a banner. Sort of like if you see this. I mean, what do you think? Think about a bunch of colored circles there on a, on a, on a flag. Do I know what that is? You know what it is, sorry? What? The Olympic flag. You know why there's these particular five colors? Anybody else know why? Do you know why? Because these five colors... At least one of those colors is found in every flag in the world. That's why they picked these five colors. Uh, some, uh, some of the colors and some of the, ban- uh, some of the uh, flags have more than one color, but at least one of those five colors is found in every flag around the world. So it's kind of a, kind of a unifying thing as people set aside you know, political uh, you know, viewpoints and all that, and they come together just to compete in the Olympic Games. Kind of a rallying point, and they're joined together to say, okay, the nation is going to join together for a, a good athletic competition. All right. We understand that concept. But we have an ensign. And the banner that we hold forth is the message of Jesus Christ who died on the cross. You see, Jesus died for everyone. And Everyone, no matter what their political views, no matter their uh, social uh, standing or status, whether they're way up here or way down here in society, no matter their educational status, no matter their gender, whatever, male or female, slave or free, you know, black or white, Jew or Gentile or Samaritan, and the Samaritan was sort of the in-between, the halfway, It makes no difference in Christ Jesus. Everybody can come to the cross and enjoy the benefits of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that is Jesus Christ. And so the chapter goes on, and it talks about these, in the language there, is that all barriers are broken down in Christ Jesus, that we all come to the foot of the cross. And we lay aside the thinking of being uh, that we were taught as black Panthers. And we lay aside all the thinking we were taught as Jews. And all the prejudices of of, uh, those who are in Islam or Muslim or those who were taught whatever their religion might be, paganism or or economic snobbery or uh, poverty and the snobbery that sometimes happens with that. 
All that nonsense is laid aside because the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Jesus Christ teaches us better. Say, hey, in Christ Jesus, we all come. And we all come on an equal plane. And we all receive the same blessings and benefits that are offered in Christ Jesus. But you see, the gospel is going to bring about that change. The gospel is going to bring us together. And now we're going to have that peace and harmony that is promised in Isaiah chapter 11 and Isaiah chapter 2, etc. And then 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9 talks about the, the, uh, that, the, that the Word of God is not bound. Even languages don't stop. And that, that's one of the astounding things, that the Word of God is functional in every language. And there are people that are smart, and they translate it into languages, and people, whether you live in Mexico, whether you live in Colombia, whether you live in the Philippines, or you live in Japan, or you live in Africa, it makes no difference. The Word of God applies to every nation and people. The opportunity to become a Christian, to come to the feet of Jesus and to enjoy the benefits of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is open to all. So the question is, as we extend the invitation of Jesus Christ, has the truth changed you? Does it, does it impress upon you that King Jesus died for your sins and that He made the ultimate sacrifice that we could be forgiven? Would we step out and, uh, and obey those simple steps that are described in the Scriptures? Believing in Christ. Repenting, making that change, changing our thinking, and confessing Jesus, and then to be baptized. That we might all be one in Christ Jesus. Come up out of that watery grave and just keep growing, and just be constantly being changed by the truth of Jesus Christ. If there's any way we can help or assist you, and you want to obey the gospel, you let us know while together as we stand and as we sing.